Seinfeld, the strong box is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who never talk to their food. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Aki Winokur. Keeve, how are you? How's it going, Rob? You never talk to your food. You're too busy uh, just uh, devouring it to have Yeah, no, that would it would be uh, it would be a big waste of time. Yeah. I'm you, I'm an inhaler, so that you don't talk to your food when you're an inhaler. You might be taunting the food before you eat it, but you're I trash talk the food sometimes, that's true. Yeah. Like you're going down, all of you. Yes, right down the hatch. And here we are to talk about the strong box, one of what is this now? The one of the final nine episodes we're gonna talk about, Keith? I think we got uh we got uh, ten more after this. Yes. And But uh, really but you're right, final nine if you if you include the doubles as uh like, in terms of the podcast, I believe after this, there's eight more podcast episodes. So and you're right. A dark episode to discuss here yeah. today with the Strong Box, where uh, we have the sad story of Fredo the parrot. And uh, we have a very poor man who uh, is uh, pretty destitute. Uh, some sad stories to follow. It's also it's like just shot a little bit darker than most episodes. I do think this is like and I have we haven't said this in years. This is like a season two episode. Hmm. Why do you say, you know, that? I, I just think that like it, it, we stop being this dark in seasons four, five, six. Like there are individually dark things, but I just feel like tonally this episode is pretty dark and it feels like a two early season three episode more than, you know, Season nine is more outlandish. This is not a stereotypical season nine episode, right? Nine is outlandish. This is more like everybody's down on their luck. Okay. Well, uh, let's uh, track that as we go through here, the strong box uh, from O'Keefe and Kimball. Yeah. Dan O'Keefe is um, Mr. Festivus, right? Yes. I always like the name Kimball. It's a good name. It's a good name. Yeah. He's a Veep guy. Kimball's like, all, all these guys went to Kerber Veep after. There's like two, two types of guys. Yeah. So Kimball's a Veeper. Okay. And so this is from February 5th, 1998, as uh, we are in the home stretch of the Seinfeld season nine run. Uh, Keeve, anything from last week that you want to touch on before we dive into talking about the strong box? Um, I don't think there's any real uh, corrections or anything. People, a lot of people sent in news about Danny Tartable. Yes. Um, Seinfeld veteran Danny Tartable was, I think we mentioned this years ago that he's like a fugitive from the law for child support or something. And they mm-hmm. finally caught him. I had forgotten, but he was on the lam for five years. Wow. Like how do, I guess maybe they don't tr- like, it's not a, it's not a violent crime. So they're not putting out like Interpol or like interstate police. But I mean, if you had to hide for five years, where would you go? I mean, they should have Danny Tartable on the next season of hunted. Seriously. Like I, the, he's impressive, right? He, would he be one of the. Like the hunters, like because he knows all the methods. Oh, that might be sort I didn't of like see the show. star hunted where they bring in this season. The hunters are bringing in Danny Tartable, who lived on the run as a renegade Yankee. He yeah. dodged authorities for over five years. He knows all right. the tricks of the trade. I actually think it's a good idea if he was like on the run for parking tickets. But I think since it's child support, it's hard to root for Tartable. Yeah. Okay. Well, so hopefully that uh, Danny Tartable is able to get his life back on track. And then uh, he's saying to himself, I should have signed one of those Bonilla contracts. Then I'd still have the money coming in. That's right. Okay. All right, Keith. let's talk about the strong box. And this episode opens up with George with his girlfriend of the week. Her name is Maura. 
and George would like to break things off with her. And she says, no, we're not going to break up. I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, he's puzzled by this. uh, And he says, all right. Now, Keith, have we traveled these roads before with George Costanza? I mean, do you mean with Susan? Well, specifically, what was the saga in the outing that led to George wanting to tell his girlfriend he was actually a porn star named Buck Naked. Why did he want to break up with her? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Wasn't that a similar scenario where he wanted a breakup? He didn't know how to break up with a woman and he needed to have her be the one to break up with him. Isn't that similar? Yeah, I mean, he, but uh, what was the reason he wanted? He wanted to pretend like he was gay with Jerry mm-hmm. to break up with his girlfriend. Right. In the outing. Right. Why did he want to break up with, with, uh, with his girlfriend in the outing, though? I yeah. think he just, was there a reason or he just wasn't into her? Well, it just feels like this is a little familiar territory. Uh, yeah, for George sure. But again, has a girlfriend and he needs to come yeah. up with some an sort of a caper to get her to break up with him because he's unable to break up with her. I think uh, in that particular episode, I think she said something like she would die if they weren't together. So yeah. he was worried about her harming herself if he broke up with her. Right. So she, he wanted her to break up with him. Right. So similar idea. Not exactly the same. Not exactly the same. But, we, we, you know, you say that about almost every episode from the last 30 or 35 episodes. Like we're retreading something. Yeah. All right. Over in Monk's. Jerry is explaining everything to George uh, and talking about how he tried to break up with her. She said, no, Jerry wants to know, what did you do? Well, we fooled around and went to a movie. I mean, I don't feel bad for George here. I feel like, you know, he's uh, he, ha- he doesn't have to put any any effort into the relationship. They, and they make it seem like she's such a, you know, the, whatever the opposite of a catch is. Right. Mm-hmm. A drop. She's a drop. She's a drop. Like, like. I, uh, yeah, is she is she the best looking of the George girlfriends? For sure not. Is mm. she naggy? Yes, but like, listen, he's fooling around and going to a movie. Yeah, I I would not say she's particularly naggy. Not naggy. I mean, yeah. the the talk to the food stuff is not ideal. That's certainly not hard, ideal. Hard to respect somebody who talks to their food. Yeah. Now George talks about with Jerry about how I think it's actually Jerry who has the line. Says, "Well, it's not like a nuclear submarine where you both have to turn your key." Did that idea become popularized here? Did people know about the thing where both people have to turn their key to launch the nuke from the submarine before this? I, you know, I, I, this seems like the type of thing you would know more than me. I think, like, weren't there a lot of nuke movies in, like, the late 80s, early 90s? I'm sure it happened sort in those like movies. Hunt I don't for think Red October type stuff. Hunt for Red October. I'm sure there's, like, a double turn key in, in Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, if Jerry, U571, is that like a submarine movie? That is a submarine movie. I don't know if there were nukes there, but I, I do feel like that this did shine some light on the fact that both people, people have to turn their key to launch the nuke. What about Sequest DSV? No, Sequest DSV was, it had submarines, but I don't think they were launching nukes. I watch that show every week. I don't know why. Used to be on Sunday nights. Uh, Sunday so, nights at eight, like a weird time slot for like a very like niche show. Yeah, I think that. And well, the star did the star pass it. during the the series, or no, he died like soon no, afterwards? After, after, right? Um, good looking guy, right? He was like a good looking dude, kid, right? Uh, that yeah. he's a blonde kid, 
And I'm surprised you watched that because I feel like it was sort of like uh, science fiction. I think it was basically yeah. like no, Star Trek underwater. It was like the weirdest. Yes, it was. I have no idea why I watched it. And I almost like forgot. That I watched it was it probably until, on like, after football. I mean, I think that that's a simple. As You're probably well, what was it on NBC? NBC Sunday nights. You went but right NBC from, did lose football, right? But not um, at the time that uh, yeah. Sequest DSV was on. I think in 1993, mm, they did. They lost it around there to Fox. Is that what it was? It was it 92? You know what it was? I was just watching TV, so I was probably like, all right, what's on two? What's on four? What's on five? What's on seven? Yeah, and I was going to pick one of them. I wasn't going to watch 60 Minutes. That you know. Football runs late, and then you got 60 minutes for an hour, and then that whole schedule is a mess. Shows are coming on at 8.38. It's just total chaos on CBS. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, the NFL on NBC, I think that they had it through the midnight. CBS was the one that lost it for a while. Oh, you're and right. Then they, and then CBS took the NBC package. You're so right. You're right. It was a three-way switch. It you're wasn't correct. until 95, I think, that, or 96 was the first season that CBS NBC was has the AFC. Sorry to our Australian listeners here. And the, the right, you're right. And then Fox, Fox takes the, the NFC and then CBS takes it from NBC and then NBC eventually gets back into the game. They're like, we need to hire Wieneker, so let's get back into the football yeah. game. Yeah, actually it was uh, NBC lost the AFC television rights after 1997 to CBS, which still currently has them today. So coming up on it, yeah, this is going to be 20 years of uh, the AFC on CBS. Yeah, and they're celebrating with Tony Romo. Yeah. It, well, CBS used to have the NFC when uh, we were uh, very little. When we were very little, yeah, and Romo's going to be a disaster. That's my one prediction. It's going to be a, it's going to be a mess. That's your one prediction. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. No, the Twitter trolls are. No one's ever been parsed. Those words have ever been parsed this hard. Yeah, like every, like there's going to be like ten articles about like how was his first show, and he's going to say one dumb thing, and then people are also like not to make light of it. He did get hit in the head every single week for the last fifteen years. It's not ideal for like being an announcer <laughs> sure but he has not been hit in the head recently i don't think concussion was ever his problem, that's true but we're too that's you know true. we we digress so we're off right so jerry has this plan he's going to some sort of a meetup where jerry lewis is going to be there and so jerry has acquired he's tracked down jerry lewis's cufflinks from the film cinderfella so that he will have an opening when he meets Jerry Lewis. George points out, no, well, you have the same name. That's going to be much more important than the cufflink. All right, let's let's just get this over with now. Sure. In in the hundred, this is the hundred seventieth episode of the show. I do not remember a bigger dead end than the cufflinks. You mean there's just there's no third act to the cufflinks. Well, that, that why that's don't the we reason- go to the Friars Club roast and see Jerry Lewis? Well, I think we needed to have Jerry have a reason to go crazy and get involved in this caper. But what I would say to you is, why on earth are the cufflinks so important to Jerry that he's willing to go and desecrate the animal graveyard and dig up Fredo, the dead parrot? Are you At what point does Jerry, the germaphobe, say, you know what, I'm going to pass on the cufflinks. Let me just go with, hey... Did you my know name my is name is Jerry also? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, if you keep track of the Jerry Lewis news, Jerry Lewis was in the news like six months ago because somebody, maybe Rolling Stone, interviewed him. Yeah. And he basically kicked them out almost immediately. He didn't answer their questions. He hated, like, I guess his publicist or assistant He's set it up. He's he, he's like, if you if you looked at the word cantankerous in the dictionary, yeah. assuming you had a dictionary with pictures, um, 
the uh, the picture would be of Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. and he'd be holding another picture of Jerry Lewis. The but but who is only defender on planet Earth when Jerry that Seinfeld. happened? Yeah. was Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. I mean, we talked about this uh, because it might have happened so. at the time that we did the podcast. Yeah, he did an interview with somebody, and he just gave like one word answers to the interviewer, and Jerry Seinfeld thought this is brilliant. Yeah, I think Jerry thinks. I mean, Jerry probably knows him pretty well. In Jerry's mind, it's a bit, but let's be Jerry Lewis is is an a hole. Well, I don't know enough about his uh, checkered past to be able to weigh in on the Jerry Lewis is an a hole take. I mean, I mean, maybe he wasn't like then, but as an old man, it's like some of these old guys soften. Yeah, not him. He's hardened. I mean, again, maybe it's a bit. Maybe he's still like pulling one over on us, but I don't know. He seemed pretty mean. Yeah, the bit with Jerry Lewis was always like when I was growing up that, you know, in France, Jerry Lewis is considered a genius. So that maybe he's just bitter about how his genius was not recognized properly in the United States. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the truth is I don't know much about his career, to be honest, but... As an old, like and some of these old guys, I know more um, about his telethon. Both, yeah, his telethon is. What, what was the other old guy? I think he'd passed like in the last year. Um, Can you narrow it down? No, like one another one of these like insult comics from like the from Don from, Rickles. Like, the, Don Rickles. So like Rickles was mean, but there was a sense of sweetness like deep in there that you warm. sort of sensed. Yeah. Even right, even though like you maybe never saw it, like his friends swore by him, right? Like the people who liked him, you know, the Jeff Rosses mm-hmm. of the world. You know, would say he's the greatest guy they knew. I don't know Lewis if people are walking an around. Insult comic. No, but I. But he's from the same like era. era no. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think that there's also with Jerry Lewis that uh, there were portrayals that he did which have not held up from a uh, politically correct standpoint. So mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Who knows with uh, with Jerry Lewis? But Jerry Seinfeld loves him. Yeah. And again, I just don't know enough. Maybe I got to do some Jerry Lewis research to really be more educated about him. OK, so George says that the we have the same first name worked when he ran into George Papard and Jerry points out that George Papard has been dead for years. I do know George Papard is. I did not Google him and I don't know who he is. He's the older guy from the A-team. OK, I wasn't a big A-team guy. Yeah, well, I think it's before your time. A little bit. I mean, it's a little bit before my time even. But it was rerun, I think, also. Yeah, so in the early 90s. Yeah, that, that was uh, when you guys did the podcast with uh, Mike Bloom. That was one of the really big uh, post Super Bowl shows. I think that that's probably the one that gets the acclaim for the first show post Super Bowl that launched a new hit series. The truth is, Mr. T- ultimately, Mr. T is more famous than the show as a whole. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Like more people know Mr. T than the A team, I think, at this point. Right. Mr. T. Uh, is he still around? What's he doing now? I think, I mean, he's still alive, but he used to be like, he was like a very common, like, sta- like late night comic, like, you know, like punchline, like he'd show up. Yeah. And I haven't seen him. I don't know what, what he's doing now, but I haven't seen him in like five, six years. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Okay. Did they reboot Mr. T- A-Team also? They did an A-Team movie, I believe. Oh, okay. Seems yeah, like it's ripe for rebooting. Not a, not a TV series. Uh, A-Team movie, but you're right. That did go, uh, come and go. The A-Team uh, reboot, uh, that was... Jessica Biel. Yikes. <laughs> uh, and they didn't have Mr. T? No, I don't think so. so the A-Team reboot uh, was starring Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper, Jessica Biel, Quentin Jackson. That's Rampage Jackson, the MMA fighter. <laughs> yeah, Sherito Copley. 
uh, Patrick Wilson. So I think uh, we didn't was not a, a major performer, although uh, it made a hundred seventy seven million dollars. But it was That's a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, I mean it's not enough for like the two, you know, for A team two or the B team. Pretty I guess unmemorable though. Yeah, no, I didn't know it happened even. Like, I had to strain to even remember that they did make a reboot of a team movie. All right. But that being said, uh, so we see Elaine with Glenn, her new boo this week. Putty is not in the picture. She'll tell Jerry later that her and Putty have not talked in three weeks. And the thing that we're going to learn about Glenn down the road is that Glenn is a poor man. And we don't get the backstory of how Elaine and Glenn met Keeve. Like, we just see them on the street. Yeah. And she's like doing a bit. It's never, it didn't occur to me, it's never mentioned. And by the way, like, isn't this still a winter episode? It's weird that they're having like, uh, you don't see a lot of people in February, just like lounging around in a street restaurant that probably has indoor seating. It is weird. Um, And they are cold when they go to his house that has no heat later on in the episode. So it's never mentioned where they, so what's your guess? Where did they meet? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Where is Elaine? Did he walk into Monk's one day, maybe? Why? He's poor. He can't eat at Monk's. I mean, maybe he was asking, first of all, I mean, he can afford a cup of coffee in theory. I get not from monks. Why monks has expensive coffee? I mean, I think you could probably get cheaper. Also, coffee if he's a local, that, you know, monks monks might uh, you know hook him up once in a while. I guess so. I mean, but Keith, he was the same guy who was waiting for donuts uh, outside yeah. in the alley. He's going to, into yeah. monks to buy a cup of coffee for. I two mean, bucks. he could be. He could have been using the restroom in monks. Honestly, I guess so. And then he's asking a woman out. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of confidence. This guy. Later in the episode, he tells Elaine to open the door mm-hmm. for like, right? Most people, what would they have done when like they would have screamed, don't open it when the welfare caseworker was at the door, right? Right. So, so he's, he's not really like ashamed of his plight in life or he wouldn't have taken Elaine dumpster diving. Yeah. To me, I feel like that this was not a very Elaine conversation. Uh, it seems like this was a Jerry conversation or even a George that they gave to Elaine about what meal would she have if she was going to be executed and she would pick mm-hmm. what she was going to eat based on the type of execution. Yeah. Didn't seem like something. This is Elaine like Elaine doing a Jerry type bit, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So she says that with the electric chair, maybe Mexican. Keeve, I want as our food expert, do you sign off on this? Thai or Mexican for the electric chair? I don't know much about it. And this is also pretty dark for her and like to really consider I I, I like at the risk of getting graphic, like I do wonder if if um people who are electrocuted, do they like soil themselves? Yeah. And if so, like you should eat nothing. That. Yeah, let's not explore <laughs> that too much. Okay. Uh, but I, I almost think like you should eat nothing. By the way, just a general because a bunch of people did ask us and we could get into it if we have time at the end in the mailbag, like what what a bunch of people want to know what our last meals would be. But it's mostly mostly done in, in Texas, which does the most execution statistically, like some guy realize like well if i just order you know all the food in the world like it might like delay it a little bit and he ordered an obscene amount of food and didn't eat one thing and then the warden was like no mas and so now they don't do it now they'll they'll give you whatever's at the prison but that you know you can't just like order an out burger or like your favorite apple pie or something it's it's a okay. it's an old it's outdated we'll shut it down we'll shut it down so Elaine says lethal injection feels like pasta. It's painless. You don't want anything too heavy. Hold on. Isn't pasta one of the heaviest things you can eat? Yeah. I mean, you got a carb load before you run a marathon. I mean, why would she say if you were going to say, I don't want anything heavy. And I said, oh, okay, perfect. We'll get Italian. I said, no, 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 no. I don't 
want something heavy. What's light though? They like sushi, I guess. A salad is light. Salad, yeah, you go with a salad. Sushi I mean, it's weird for your filling. last. It's weird for your last, but it's not heavy. It's weird for your last meal to be a salad. Well, right. Well, but no, nobody would say, well, oh, I'm going to die. So let me, uh, you know, I don't want anything too heavy. I almost think you go with, with like dessert. Dessert. Like just indulge yourself. Like have a pie, have some cake. Yeah. I think I would just go like straight up McDonald's or something like that. That would be your last meal, McDonald's? Yeah, because I feel like I could finally really enjoy it. Right. Because you know, it's like, oh, this isn't unhealthy. And if you know, it's not unhealthy. Right. What if it's like a bad burger? I'm sure like at chain restaurants like that, you get duds sometimes, right? You could get a dud. Because it's mass produced. And then it's like, oh man, could I get another one? They're like, nope, gotta go. I think I'd be more upset if the fries were dud. Oh yeah. If the fries weren't good, if they were like, they need a little salt and we're like, oh, well, we're yeah, in on can, death can row. heat these up a little bit? Give them a little, uh, <laughs> a little bit, a little put, soggy. Put these the in the chair for a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Elaine says to the guy, uh, okay, well, let's get together sometime. Elaine says, uh, all right, give me your number. He's saying it would be better if he called her. Will not give up the digits, Keeve. You know, the uh, she knows right away. This is like a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, no, don't call me. I'll call you for a guy. You know, she's not dumb here. Right. And like, he's, he's, he, he's able number. to flatter her, but there's there's a red flag, like a light goes off in her head. She's concerned. OK, so we go back to Elaine and Jerry and they're speculating. She thinks he could be in a relationship. Season nine, Desperate Elaine. This is not a deal breaker for her. No, I think she is so like she's back to thirsty Elaine and I think it's, but you know, why? like what she said, about <laughs> Glenn is Glenn. Is it the mystery alone? Is it right? That there's Glenn really so no handsome? reason why she should be interested in him other than he's taken. Right. Right. If he's not, which is why I guess she's not interested in him. But like he's not good looking. He doesn't have a good personality. Yeah, It's a little bit of a nobody beats the whiz type situation where it's like, yeah. wait, what is it that she sees in this guy again? Mm hmm. And it's just a mystery. Right. She, I think she just wants to get to the bottom of it. It's a little bit like, you know, she talked about this with the Subway Club where she had 19 tickets punch and she just wanted to get there and get the free sub. She compared right. it, it wasn't to, about the five bucks. Yeah. It was about it was about the, the you know, the the, the sub, you know, the uh, 20th of it. Yeah, all. she compares know. it to a bad movie that you just want to see the ending of. I think she just really wanted to know why he wasn't going to be able to call her. Um, yeah, no, I, I and also she's just so desperate. She's up for anything. The putty thing is a disaster. She doesn't even know if she's dating putty during this episode. <laughs> right. Jerry surmises that perhaps this man could be a superhero. Uh, he says that Elaine is dating the Green Lantern, perhaps. Yeah, which I guess holds up. I didn't know who the Green Lantern was when I saw this episode then, but now he's got like movies and stuff and people know who he is again. Well, he had a movie uh, with the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern, but uh, that he could be back in the mix with the Justice League now. Yeah, you know, I don't follow those superhero movies. I just like I've heard the name, but I don't know who's who. Who's Marvel? Who's DC? Yeah. I'm not on either team. Right. So, Keeve, we see Kramer come through. He's got a strong box to keep all of his possessions in, his uh, worldly irreplaceables, which include his uh, military discharge, which we find out uh, at least the idea that Kramer was in the military. Does this surprise you? It hasn't been broached before. It wasn't implied once that he was in the military. I mean, we know he went overseas. I feel like it wasn't mentioned before. Yeah, no, I don't think it was. I, I'm, I don't, but I'm also not shocked after watching nine seasons. Like, we know he has a mysterious background. It's not shocked that he was probably dishonorably discharged or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Also, we find out some valuable taxidermy items. Uh, do you want to speculate on that? Um, how much could they be worth? Knowing Kramer, it's like a sadly low amount. No, but you know? what are the taxidermy? Oh, what are the amounts? I thought you meant like would speculate like uh, like we were an auction house. Um, I have no idea. I don't know anything about taxidermy. Do you have any guesses? I mean, they have to fit in the strong box. So what is it like? Right, uh, a rat? Yeah, I mean, taxidermy seems... It seems like a thing a of the past, right? Yeah, it does not seem I like... I feel like you live in L.A. If you had, like, taxidermy, like, some of these moms that are coming to your house for, like, yoga or whatever are going to walk out if you have taxidermy. Well, I thought you were going to say, is there even a taxidermy By the way, you place? should get taxidermy in your house. <laughs> yeah. Get these moms to walk yeah, get out. Yeah, get them out um, of here. I have a friend who went on a safari and brought back a zebra carpet. Oh, Donald Trump Jr.? No. Oh. No, not Donald Trump Jr. He's not my friend. Yeah. Um, but I was like shocked by it. And so was his wife, who was not thrilled. Yeah. And it was only it was only a carpet in their living room for the four hours I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is now like in a garage never to be seen again. Yeah. She was not thrilled. And I do not think it was cheap. Yeah. So And it's annoying to like bring back from Africa. Yeah. I'm looking in like the local radius of taxidermy and uh I see only like three or four uh, taxidermy places uh, in all of Los Angeles. I mean, it's not something I give a lot of thought to. It's still legal, right? I don't believe it's illegal. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. It seems a little creepy. Yeah. So, uh, and it seems like there's a lot of taxidermy rental places. Like, not, I don't know if there's too many places that are doing it. What are new. you renting? Yeah. You think you rent one? Probably like movies and uh, different like TV shows might want to like rent like a. Oh, I a see. Bear. It's Hollywood. You're right. You're right. right. What about like, and are the heads also taxidermy? Like when you, when you like, uh, like, you know, shoot an animal and like the trophy of like the like lion's head or the bear's yeah, head. I don't know. Is that technically taxidermy? I'm not sure. I, th- I would guess so. The only thing I know, it like, you remember Ace Ventura 2? He like walks into the room and he loves animals and there's like all the animal heads on the wall. Mm-hmm. That's like the only like I don't have a lot of taxidermy experience in my life. Yeah. So uh, Kramer also has I-, I love this. that They said that his Tony is in the strong box. That's a really good callback. It's great. Yeah. Like, what would Kramer have that would be so valuable? Okay, so he has the key, and there's been a robbery in the building, and so he needs to hide this key somewhere in Jerry's apartment, and uh, he won't do it in front of Jerry. He's concerned if Jerry knows the location of the key. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's funny, but it's also so goofy, because, like, Jerry doesn't care. We're not like... But, you know, that's Kramer, like, just assuming that what he does is important. Right. So Jerry and Elaine go out in the hallway. And so Jerry is saying to Elaine, boy, I wish I could have seen the look on your face when you found out that this guy was in a relationship. And that's when Elaine reveals to Jerry that she has not broken it off with the superhero. But that was implied, like, when she first tells him, like, hey, he might be dating someone. She didn't say, oh, it's an immediate breakup. So I'm not sure. And he's met Elaine before, so he shouldn't be too shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then she's uh, going to still go through with it. Yeah. She said her deal breaker was jewelry. She didn't say it was like a wife. She doesn't know? like jewelry on a man. That was with the green So as long as there. he's not wearing a wedding ring, which I guess he can't afford, so it's fine. Yeah. Well, Jerry's asking her about, the, so you would date a married guy? And she says, well, it's the closest I might ever get to being married. It's weird, right? What does that mean? You're not, you're, because you're, 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 like, you're dating a married man. I mean, like, but how is that, you know, like, I guess if I eat an apple, it's like the closest I ever am to being an apple. I don't know. I, I don't see that as being the same. 
I don't think that, right, that was late. the strongest <laughs> analogy work. All right. I got 10 episodes to, you know, get some, to come up with something worse. All right. So they go back in Jerry's apartment and Jerry very quickly finds the key in that drawer. Everything always is in that drawer. And then Kramer says that he hid it under a spoon, but he's upset with Jerry because he had to go snooping to find the key. All right. So George presents his case to Mora about why he and she should be no more. But she says no. She says it is like being on a submarine. We both have to turn our keys. She is not turning her key. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the key turning analogy, it's like, you know, I get it. But uh, it's so funny that why does he care that Morris says no? Is she going to like hunt him down and murder him? Well, she's at his apartment. So it's a little hard to right. physically remove her at that yeah. point. Right. People wrote in and said you never break up with someone at your apartment. Right. So it's like you. Because you're not going to like physically remove the other yeah, person, but you could leave their apartment. Stuff, right. Sure. Yeah. It's a bad idea. But that's another set they would have to build. Keith, was it a missed opportunity in this episode to, one, have this idea of the key to the strong box, which goes missing? And then we also have the metaphorical key that is mentioned quite a bit in George and Mara's relationship. I know you and I have talked about uh, a woman who is low-key thick in terms of having a low number of keys. Do you th- mm-hmm. Should they have somehow tied the two keys in the story together? Yeah, I think it makes sense. It's like a weird coincidence that there's two different keys in the storyline, right? Yes, One's literal, one's figurative. I mean, what, what would you have? Would you would you bring it over to Kramer's where, like, his strong box needs two people to turn the key at once? Like, how do you do yeah, it? Yeah, that would be funny if the strong box actually uh, required two keys to be able to open. Uh, and he only had one of the keys. You need to have the other key so they could both uh, turn the key. I, I feel like there's something there. It's just we're talking about so many, like, two different keys in the same episode. It's not like Is it Seinfeld. addressed? Yeah. Is it addressed like why, like the strong box, which is essentially like a standing light safe, like how that if someone wanted to rob you, they wouldn't just take the strong box? That is not addressed. No. I mean, I guess the idea of a strong box is it's unbreakable without the key. Is that what it is? So like there's not a lot of value in stealing it unless you want to like, you know, sledgehammer it or something. Right. I think you could probably I assume like that's what a strong it box down is. or something if you wanted as well. I think it's also fireproof. I think that that is the uh-huh. biggest feature. Yeah. Uh, I think um, Akiva's childhood correspondent. Andrew, when we were both abroad, we were in different schools for the year, but we were near each other. And uh, he went to a school where the safe, which was mostly, I'm sure there was money and valuables in there, but it was mostly every single kid's passport um, was stolen. So then they built a, um, everyone got new passports and it's in the Middle East. So like a passport stealing uh, in in literally in 2001, we're talking weeks Mm -hmm. after 9-11 is a really big deal that gets like the, you know, the authorities involved. Um, and I don't think they were stealing it for the passports. They were stealing it for the money, but it happens to be that there's a hundred passports on. So then they build the safe. They put it into the wall, into like the floor or whatever, much better safe, expensive safe. And whoever it was, the same guys come again and like drill into the wall in the middle of the night and steal the entire safe with like a team of people. Yeah. I th- so like they had their passports stolen twice and you know, you've gone through passport stuff. Not fun to get a new passport. Not fun. And I think I think there was one kid who lost his passport right before then. So he had four passports in like a span of two months and probably got flagged yeah, for like, the, you know, probably still getting flagged. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But all these kids had three passports. 
Um, I, I think probably someone like Andrew probably stopped trusting the safe by the uh, after the first one. I'd have to ask. Him. Yeah, I think the idea of the strong box also is that you have like a cable that you attach, like one of those like bicycle cables that you can like have it like padlock to a desk or something like that so that somebody mm-hmm. just can't make off with it. And when my wife's house was was robbed, when it was tented for termites, uh, her parents house um, right before our wedding, the the um, they the safe was really heavy, but it wasn't like un carryable and they also took the they took the whole safe yeah just throw it off a roof somewhere yeah okay so <laughs> she Mora is not going to turn her key that's uh, that one thing is uh clearly established she won't let go of george costanza when you have a guy like george what do you costanza, think she likes about george i think it's just hard to find somebody to date i think yeah probably- i guess that's why george is picking up chicks to begin with right yeah. this is a pre-tinder world i think that yeah. for uh, maybe even for a, a, a woman in uh, 1998 in new york city maybe harder to find a guy that's not like a total creep and so she has a stable boyfriend she's like uh you know what this is better than being out on the market it's true although i will say i i have a couple friends who are single who are like undateable they're like george costanza-esque but with worse employment opportunities (laughs) and like they do very well on these websites so i think that like it's helped women but i do think the george costanza of the world probably are aided by the technology also it's not like they're doing worse because like the women can just find the better looking guys yeah i think that for whatever reason they're doing it right also yeah if i could make an analogy that george costanza as a boyfriend he is a little bit like a major league pitcher who eats innings sort of like a bartolo cologne circa 2017 where he is a guy that if you are just looking to have a boyfriend, if you are just looking to have a person to go with you to the dinners, to the movies, to the brunches, that he is a guy that you can, he is a relationship uh, guy and you could just bring him to stuff. He's not somebody who's going to just stand you up and leave you high and dry when you have these social functions to go to. So he's a, repl- is he a replacement level boyfriend? Sure. Replacement level boyfriend. And, but, and there's some value to that. Oh, there's definitely value to that. You can't just have I mean, a guy come in off the street and then you don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, take you to places. I'm not even saying that he's going to be paying for it, but just somebody to eat dinner with a couple nights out of the week. Right. If you don't want to go to the movies yourself. Right. Who has an he's apartment. The Nick, he's the Nick Evans of boyfriends. Yes, very much he's so. He's going to end up in Japan scoring a lot, but well, right now he's in, he's in New York. Okay. All right. So we see Elaine with Glenn. And so Elaine uh, ends up asking, uh, how's a guy like you not involved? And he turns it around. I, I could ask you the same thing. And this is when Elaine uh, suspects he's married. He gives her a flower. She doesn't really want to hold the flower that he gives her. And uh, ultimately, a woman comes through and Elaine suspects this is his wife. Here she comes. I will say, I don't know anything about welfare caseworkers and sort of the HIPAA version of that. But like, does she need to greet him? And is she like going to greet him and say like, you know what I mean? Like, why? Why is he so nervous? Like, sh- he should be confident that she's going to either nod, and then he'll, Elaine could say, "Who is that?" And he could just say, "Oh, it's my coworker or an old friend." Yeah, 
Right? Am I crazy here? Like, I don't know the difference between sort of a welfare caseworker and if what's the difference between welfare and unemployment. So, right. I mean, is her thing like she's trying to catch him in the act so she can prove that he's not poor or prove that he is poor to continue his services? Because it, it just seems like a very adversarial relationship. Like, when Elaine says, so he's, and she says poor, I don't think you're supposed to say that. Mm-hmm. Like she's saying he's poor. Like I can't imagine there's a lot of caseworkers running around Manhattan saying that nowadays. Right. I, again, I, that, you're right about that. Why she is like coming after him, like the T-1000 that we also. And, and is that a coincidence that they see each other on the street or is she actually like looking for him? I think it's a coincidence, but I mean, is the issue that he is out with someone who is not his wife and she routinely comes by their place? The parole officer or I'm sorry, the uh, the the welfare. Uh, what do we call her? A welfare worker supervisor. Okay, I think a caseworker. Caseworker. Probably. Yeah. And so is that the issue that she's going to report back to? Uh, Mrs. Glenn that, hey, I saw Glenn out on the street uh, with a woman the other day. I, I mean, is that her gig, though? Like, what does she care who he's dating? I, I mean, I don't know. It Are just seems like to be a philanderer and collect welfare. How often do you, by the way, do you see have, have in your life? Have you like seen someone on the street and run the other way? Oh, uh, every time I see somebody on the street. OK, that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm from like a small town. And so, like, it's always because I never want to see anybody. No, I, I never I, see I, I anybody. Walk, I never see anybody. I know. Right. Well, listen, but I come from uh, a small town where everyone knows everyone. And and also where I live now, I, in both places, I walk places if I'm by myself and not with my kids or my wife with my headphones in. Mm-hmm. So like because then, you know, like your best friend will accost you with your headphones in. But maybe a casual acquaintance will just give you the nod and walk, you know, right, if you're lucky. Yeah. Or you pretend to be on the phone, which back in the day when people used to use the phone, I would do a lot. Now it's like so unrealistic that, uh, you know, that people are on the phone. Yeah. I would try to delete my phone app this week and they don't let you. I'm not even kidding. Did it my you? son keeps calling like like Bulgaria. He just like dials all the numbers and presses send. And like I'm going to have like a million dollar phone bill from just like his hour conversations with Bulgaria where he leaves the phone. I got a phone call the other day. The caller ID said scam likely. <laughs> yeah. There's apps that are very good at, at detecting. Scams. I don't have that. Uh, I have T-Mobile, and it just uh, came up, caller ID, scam likely. I was like, uh, I'm going to let this one go to voicemail. Yeah. Do you answer, uh, and I don't even know how to check my voicemail. I've never checked it once in like five years. But yeah. do you know how to, do, do if, if you don't know the number, do you answer the phone? I sometimes will, and I always regret it. Right. It's never, if someone really wanted to get a hold of you, it's never like, I had a million dollars and I was looking for you, Rob, but, you know, I just ended up giving it right. to another guy I'm in the street. I'm not going to anymore. I think that's it. But sometimes it's more inconvenient, though, if there was something and I could have answered it quickly. Uh, and it's then I have to then listen to the voicemail, then call them back, and then get transferred back to that person. So occasionally I might. That's what that's what leads me there. But, you know, four out of five times, I instantly regret it. Yeah. No, and I don't answer my phone. I, I don't answer my phone. And also some of my kids don't have their own phone. So it could be their friends. And that's a nightmare. I don't answer my phone. Yeah. I, I got a sales call from uh, Spectrum Internet, which is basically uh, Time Warner here. And th- it was like they called me and I have them for my Internet. 
And it was like they knew nothing about me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm their customer, and they knew not. They knew nothing about me, and they wanted to sell me Time Warner. I'm, I already have Time Warner, and and they yeah, wanted. Yeah, that's funny. I guess the right hand doesn't talk were, to the left. And they there, were trying to give me like a like. Well, we have an offer for you, uh, and and they wanted like an internet package that was like worse than the internet package. <laughs> the one you have said, with no, them this already. This is worse than what I have. This is worse <laughs> with you. Uh, and, yeah, that's bad business. And, and and then they called me again the next day. I was like, no, stop that, that, that. That's it. That's it. Stop it. You guys. I think we should basically like if we could make answering the phones a thing of the past, that would that would really uh, be a good thing to do for society. It's not great. I think we're headed in that direction. All right. There's nobody who, who thinks to call me if they need me. <laughs> not one person in my life. Yeah. What about your wife? If you really need me, you call my wife because she answers the phone. Okay. Good to know. Now we know, now we know for an emergency. All right, so we go back to Elaine. Now she is trying to get into Jerry's apartment, but the buzzer is not working. So she's calling up. This does feel a little bit like a throwback, where we're in Jerry's apartment and we're calling down the people on the street. Yeah, I, I mean, I do like this conversation. I love the like five floors down conversation because I've had them in in Manhattan also. Mm-hmm. It seems unrealistic, but trust me, my wife can yell. Like I've had these. And sometimes she'd like, hey, I forgot the keys. I don't want to go back up in the elevator. Throw the keys down. Yeah. And then you have to like clear house because you don't want like someone to walk by. Right. Keeve, this is the third mention yeah. of a key in this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of keys. But so should the episode be called the keys? I mean, we like. Mm, I think. Is there already by the way, an episode of the keys? Yes, there is. Yeah. I, by the way. I like the name The Strong Box. I think that is probably the correct name the strong, for this episode. Uh, the Strong Box is fine. Uh, that, that's not my issue here. I, I don't love the name The Strong Box, but I'm saying, like, I believe if we needed to do it again, this would keep its name. Yeah. And Elaine is saying, okay, if you can't throw me the key, and Jerry correctly surmises that, okay, she will, if I throw these keys, uh, she'll chicken out and they'll go in the sewer. All right, keep me company. I like that Jerry ends up having a conversation like if he was in the diner. He says, uh, I used to be able to eat a big meal and go to sleep, and now I can't. Is that a problem for you, Keith? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Eating and sleeping are the two things that I don't have a problem with. Mm-hmm. And Elaine ends up talking about how she's dating the guy who's married. And Jerry tries to go fix the intercom. And he ends up finding the key which Kramer has wedged in there. Um, the, uh, Kramer is just so bad at, at hiding. He must be like the world's worst hide-and-seek person. Like if they played hide-and-seek, he would like literally just be sitting on the couch watching TV. Keith, did you like the rat's nest of wires in Jerry's intercom? Um I mean, yeah, I guess it was funny. That was pretty believable in terms of uh, the innards of uh, Jerry's building. And so Elaine ends up coming up here and she ends up uh, saying that she flirted with the menu guy to get into the building. So Jerry is now has to uh, go back outside so Kramer can hide the key once again. Yeah. I mean, his hiding spots just get worse and worse, but it's funny. Right. Okay. Uh, so George now, he can't come up because he too uh, is, cannot use the intercom. It's crazy that Elaine, I mean, Kramer lives there, but it's crazy that Elaine and George don't have at least like front door keys to this building. You would think so, but. Like you, what's a front door key usually is very copyable. We're talking a couple bucks. Right. But it's never been a problem before. True. But if, if it's locked, 
you know, sometimes they get there with that. Journey. I feel like all these people should have a key to his apartment. But you're right. It hasn't been a problem before. Yeah. I'd like to check to see how often do people come up without buzzing first. It seems like anybody can just come in freely except for the I mean, with the busy building, there's during the day. I mean, this happened to me. You know, you have the front door key and then you have your own key. And a lot of times the intercoms don't work or there's nobody home. You're the only person home, but you don't have the front door key for whatever reason. Right. Um, the, you know, it's annoying, but like you always, my luck was always like, just missed it. And the person sort of like, you just see the elevator close and then you have to wait like 11 minutes. So Jerry puts his jacket on to go let George in and finds Kramer's key instantly. Yeah. I mean, the hiding spots just get worse and worse. Not good. All right. So Jerry goes to go let George in. And at the same time, another man is trying to get into the building. Jerry does not let this guy in. There have been robberies in the building lately, and he will not let Phil, that we will come to know later on in the episode, into the building. Phil insists he lives there. I mean, we've had this exact scenario, right, with the doorman, where Mm -hmm. they let somebody in and he robs them. Yeah. He robs the building. Um, I understand why the guy's mad. I think the gag is that when you realize that he's his neighbor, and like, what if he's been there for six months or three years? That like, yes, a, a person who is a stranger would be like, Jerry, you know, I'm mad, but I understand. Like, at least you're not letting strangers into the building. Whereas here it's like, you a-hole, you don't know me. I am literally, I live three feet away from you. Right. But he also does not play the, Jerry, it's me, Phil. I live next door to Kramer. I live across the no, street from but me. he doesn't talk a lot, but I agree he should. But he really does not try to plead his case. He just is indignant about the whole thing that he does not have the moral high ground, in my opinion. I agree. He's not so likable. I don't feel so bad for him. Yeah. I mean, if he just would have dropped the K-man's name, said, like, I live next door to Kramer. It's weird, right? Well, if, unless he just moved in. That's possible. I mean, as somebody else wrote in, like, wouldn't he know about the parrot, at least, even if he doesn't know this guy's name? Yeah, the guy. Unless with the maybe parrot. he just got the the parrot, but I then mean, why are they in an apartment? You knew who every other person was in terms of like, uh, oh, that person that oh, that's the person that's always in gym clothes. That's the person that's this. The, like, the, there's no way a guy one door down that gossips like Jerry and Kramer wouldn't know what they were up to. I agree. At least like by face, you don't always know everyone by name, but for, you, there's no like name for that guy. Oh, totally. Behind his back. Okay. And so it's awkward. They don't let him up, and he is upset. All right. So we see George. He's in his pajamas alone by himself. He's contemplating, is the diner serving ginger ale that's really Coke and Sprite mixed together, Keeve? What do you think? No. That's just a crazy person. Who's ordering ginger ale in a diner? By the way... I wouldn't order ginger ale, but ginger ale is a sneaky underrated drink. It's really one of my favorite drinks. I think the only times I've ever had it in my life is if you were nauseous. I feel like yeah, no, it's good if you don't feel well for sure. I need to get some. Are you a seltzer guy? Yeah, big seltzer guy. I've been drinking a lot of seltzer. You know, sometimes you get sick of water and it's the summer and you really need to drink a lot. Right. So I'll like I'll mix it up with a bottle of seltzer sometimes. Right. Well, I know I, I read like a bad a- thing about seltzer though recently. Really? Uh, well, it was two things. One, it was saying that the flavor in the flavored seltzer is supposed to be very, very bad for you. But then also the actual the bubbles in the seltzer like trick your body into thinking you're more hungry than you actually are, and you end up eating more because of the seltzer. Well, I'll say Howard Wienicker who. Who's turning 89 uh, in March. Yeah. You know, he drinks, he all like only drinks seltzer. So, and he still works seven days a week. Okay. Is he extra hungry you know, though? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's not thin. Okay. So, 
Who knows? Who knows? So now I try to save it for like a special occasion. Um, yeah, no, I, you definitely shouldn't drink seltzer every day because, like, I don't know, you burp a lot also with seltzer, right? It's like strong. <laughs> I do, but love it's it. a nice, like, yeah. it's a nice treat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we end up seeing now uh, the woman, Mora, come back and she is ready to uh, resume the relationship. And George feels like he's the only person working at this breakup. It's a good line. Yeah, it is a good line. I'm the only person working on the breakup. I, I'll, you know, I'll use that one day. Okay. All right. So here is Elaine, and she is now at the love nest of Glenn. Again, it's confusing to me what Elaine thinks this place is supposed to this be. This is his, like, this is his shack. I had a sociology teacher in college who, like, bragged to us. He's like, he had, he didn't say it was, like, for ladies, but he, I guess he was a wealthy guy. He had a second Manhattan apartment that was like for poker nights for his bros. And I assume he brought chicks back there too. Mm-hmm. I keep saying chicks. I don't mean to say that. Um, but That's I assume he brought said. women. Yeah. Yeah. He said chicks. Uh, James Rados. Yeah. Um, the, the, like, no, but he would say that he would like have, you know, a second apartment for like the bros to hang out in. Okay. Um, and um, this is like, Elaine is, she's not Jerry, but like this is so like run down that I'm surprised she doesn't say like, let's go back to my place. I, I don't like, know. Why can't they go to Elaine's place? What she's doing here, why she doesn't run for it. As soon as the guy takes her into this place, I'd be afraid that she was going to be murdered. As murdered soon as for she sure. Walks into for this sure. Place. And no one would ever find her. It seems like the heat's not working. It's almost like that when she was like living in the closet so she could get the delivery from the specific Chinese restaurant that she liked. I, there's no good explanation about this other than the woman uh, who comes and knocks on the door that Elaine thinks it's the wife. She says she's not a homewrecker. She says, no, I'm his welfare caseworker. He's poor. Just a crazy scene. How could she say that? I mean, what is she showing? What is she checking for at like 11 o'clock at night? I, that I, he's honestly, still there? I have no idea. That, do they come in to see if you have nice things? Is that what the welfare case worker yeah. does? And like also if we sound insensitive, like we're just talking about the show, which is this is like, you know, so anti-poor. It's funny because the show so deeply hates the working man, right? Yeah. But like... <laughs> They also turn on the poor in this episode in like a shocking way. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not the first time either that they also uh, going back to Elaine uh, deciding to give all of the muffin stumps to the poor people. Okay, they're homeless. They'll eat anything. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This show has a distinct anti-poor POV. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All right. So we then uh, see Jerry in the elevator with Phil. Uh, Jerry uh, quickly realizes that Phil does, in fact, uh, not only live in the building, but also lives uh, right next door to Kramer. Very funny reveal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So Jerry and Elaine are talking about uh, poor Glenn. uh, And is he wretchedly poor? That's the question they want to know. Right. I do like the barrel thing. Mm-hmm. Like the Broncos fan. You know the Broncos fan yes, who only wears yes. a barrel? Yes. That's what that's why I have in mind. Okay. And so they're talking about, well, how do they get rid of him? And Jerry says, uh, have you ever dealt with the poor? You give them some money to go away. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I mean, I do like the, it is very funny, like when she does offer him money. Mm-hmm. So George comes through and he is also having an issue breaking up with his significant other in this episode. Insignificant other, Insignificant I would say. other. That's a good line. So 
he says who? Blue Arrow? And to me, we've seen George at times demonstrate a real proficiency in terms of a knowing Comic comics. Stuff. Yeah. It mm-hmm. seems weird that he would say Blue Arrow here and not know the superhero. Maybe he's a DC guy, not a Marvel, or vice versa. I don't know which one Green Lantern is. Okay, Green Lantern is DC. Uh, Are there people who like only like one and literally don't even know the names of the others? Because maybe that's George. No, I think they have a favorite, but I don't think that they sort of like, uh, you know, hate or or they like. Do you know the difference? Like if I said, who's Batman, you know, who's which one? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'd be able to do that. What's Robert Downey Jr.? He's Iron Man. That's Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. And DC is Batman and Superman. Right. And who's Spider-Man? Spider-Man is uh, Marvel. There should be an invisible guy. <laughs> I'm not sure if there is a uh, invisible guy. There if should there, be. If there is, what if we make Invisible Man? Mm, like that Chevy Chase movie? Is that uh, did that is that taken already? Chevy Chase was invisible. Yeah, the Memoirs of the Invisible Man. No, I don't know that movie. Yeah, and then there was also the Hollow Man. That was what Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but like a, just the dude is invisible. Okay, what does he do? Uh, I don't know. He like listens to people talk about him because they can't see him. Wouldn't that be interesting? I guess it's like so. a serious movie. It's not a superhero movie. Yeah, I think that's what they tried to do with the Chevy Chase movie, Memoirs of the Invisible Man. Okay, <laughs> we should do a podcast about that movie. I would always be like, I would always be nervous. I would always be nervous that like, if like you were temporarily invisible, unless you're like permanently invisible, that I would be invisible and then I just like stop being invisible and I'd be in the room and then that would be it. You know, the 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 jig would be up. Mm-hmm. That was always my fear when I would like people when when people ask you what's your what would you want your superpower to be? I would always say invisibility, but then like in my nightmares, that's what happens. Right. I lose my invisibility. Like I'm like 16 and I'm like, you know, like checking out a girl in the shower and then I lose my invisibility. Uh, yeah. At the wrong time. <laughs> that's what I thought about when I was 16. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> that I read a Chuck Klosterman, uh, book about, uh, a guy who like had like an invisibility suit that he would put on. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, and it was fine. It was uh, The Visible Man. I think it was a good two-thirds. I felt like, uh, much like you in the dream, uh, kind of fell apart in the third act. Uh, Yeah, listen, we could reboot that. I think we could do it. Yeah. So George is now uh, in the middle of this, and they're talking about what would the superpowers of Elaine's boyfriend uh, be? And uh, in addition to his superpower being lack of money, uh, Jerry says he's invulnerable to creditors. The Got No mm-hmm. Green Lantern. That's a good line. Got No Green Lantern. It's funny. Maybe his girlfriend is Lois Lone. Okay. That's not bad. And then finally, George decides, oh, I could use this cheating thing. There's a woman at work who's always had a crush on me. I feel like that George always has this like in his back pocket of like, oh, I know this other person that's obsessed with me. That is a weird thing to have in your back pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, have, <laughs> do you have someone in your back pocket who's obsessed with you? I feel like that's like a go-to thing. Um, she reminds me a lot of Tan Mom. This yes, lady. Uh, I love Tan Mom. Yeah, I'm pro Tan Mom. You're pro Tan Mom. Yeah, uh, Tan, Tan Mom, Mom. You're invited on the podcast anytime you want. Yes. Uh, well, she's always great on Stern when they get her. She's it gets easily wound up. A very self aware Tan Mom. Yes. <laughs> and so that I like that Jerry and George are on the same side of the booth. Uh, they end up switching over, and so George says there's the secretary who works in his office, but she's too tan. And she's like a carrot. Now, uh, this, I think, was also something ahead of its time. Were there a lot of people that were too tan, artificially tan in 1997 or 1998? I think maybe it had started, but it didn't get popularized till much more recently. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, Certainly the bronzing. Like, people would lay out in the sun or go to the beach, you mm-hmm. know, but... But like the actual tanning salons, I'm sure they existed, but they were much more popular 10 years later. Right. This was sort of like really the breeding ground of the uh, GTL popularity where I th- well, I think it peaks with the Jersey Shore. I think the tanning peaks with the Jersey Shore. Now it's peaks probably people think Shore. it's a little more dangerous. Yeah, I think people think it's a little more dangerous, so they still do it, but it's probably less of a thing than it was in like 09 or whenever Jersey Shore was huge. Uh, yeah. Now it's like, Can I tell you an amazing outside. Jersey Shore statistic. Sure. Mike, the situation who was like the star of the Jersey Shore, right? Like when it started, he yeah. was like, they supposed to be the alpha and the star. He's the least Twitter followers of any of those people. Hmm. Because I think that he was also the villain and not really likable. Uh, where the but other some people- of them were like, that includes like the replacements that were on like six episodes, the replacements like who not, not the movie with Keanu Reeves right. or whatever. Like, uh, give me an example. <laughs> I don't remember their names. Like, the, like, was, Dina like didn't Dina come in and some other person come in? Yeah, well, I, they were on for more than six episodes. I mean, she, I think someone was only there for one season. There was, one no, the, there was a girl in the first season, uh, Angelique. Uh, I, I oh, yeah, Angie something. Yeah, and she ended up, she left the house and then she, I, I bet he has more followers. Well, didn't she that. leave right away? She left like uh, towards the end of the first season. It will be it will be hard to explain how big the Jersey Shore was for like two years to people in a decade. Yeah, well, they're having a reunion soon. Yeah, that's how I thought of it. Someone like added all of them, and I just like noticed like, hey, I wonder if they're popular. I've never seen them on Twitter, and I happened to notice them. A Did you watch that, that show, Keith? I, I didn't stay with it the whole time, but I definitely watched the first two seasons. Yeah. You found it relatable? I don't know about relatable, but it was it was entertaining. I'd never seen anything like it before. Yeah. Did you, have you ever been down there? I don't think I've ever been to the Jersey Shore. What about you? Yeah. No, I used to go there a lot. It's sneaky, like far away, right? Uh, it depends where you're going from. But it's, Is it like an hour and a half? Well, we're oh, both from than, essentially the same place. Half from oh, hour. so I'm not going. That's annoying. Yeah. Right. Well, the worst part is if you go on a weekend and you get stuck in a lot of traffic coming back. Yeah. No, it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. You'd say it's like five hours to get back on a Sunday. Yeah. No, I'm never going to the Jersey Shore. It's not <laughs> happening. Sorry. <laughs> Is it like closer to Philly? Forget about this. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. So we see Kramer and Jerry, and they're talking about the situation with Phil. Kramer has told Phil that he can keep his giant parrot in the hallway because that is sort of like a make good after Jerry pissed off Phil. I mean, he can't say no to you can't say no to anything he says right now. Right. You Mm -hmm. just have to you know, he could he could say, like, can I use your bedroom for, you know, laundry? And he'd have to say yes. Yeah. I like Jerry asking Kramer about Phil's apartment. If it's nicer than his, where does he keep the couch? I feel like that's uh, something that people always do in apartment buildings. It is a funny thing, like especially all these apartments are identical in, in like one Manhattan building like this. So it's like there's very little you can do to put your own sort of stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So it is a fun, it is like a very realistic the question. The dorm rooms are the same thing. Totally, totally. Well, dorm rooms you don't, but you don't even have room for a couch usually, right? It's like what poster do you have above your bed? <laughs> yeah, how do you put the beds? What poster did you have above your bed? Yeah, did did I? Yeah. In college, uh, I know I, I had the uh, Pulp Fiction poster. Yeah, that's a classic. That's, I think every everybody had that. I think that came like standard issue in 1996. And I'm trying to think of uh, what other ones. I just wanted to try like a uh, like I had a couple like uh, funny posters. Like there was like a uh, like one one guy like it was like a, a drinking joke. Yeah, I don't think I'm not a poster guy. I, I I never had posters in my room, and I didn't have one in college. Yeah. All right. Well, Keeve. We find out that Kramer has now hidden the key 
in the bird seed. I'm oh, sorry. Well, he, we find out that he, it has been hidden at Phil's house where Phil's not going to be looking for it. Later, we'll find out it was in the bird seed. Uh, yes, right. We don't know. It's a weird reveal also. Kramer doesn't realize and then he's like nonplussed. He realizes a half second later and doesn't care. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. All right. Going back to George at his apartment, he's with the woman Loretta, who, as advertised, she is very tan. And she has always fantasized about jumping into bed with George Costanza. I mean, dream bigger, secretary lady. Now, (laughs) the issue with this woman is that George feels like he really needs to go through with sleeping with her. Because if he just lies about it, that Mora is like a prosecutor and she will end up getting him to crack if he doesn't actually sleep with Loretta. Yeah. And George is a great liar. So if he's calling her on that, that's like, you know, she's very uh, good. Yeah, yeah, for that's like Pedro Martinez complimenting Noah Syndergaard's fastball. It's a big compliment. <laughs> yeah, and so is that a better Loretta, analogy than the one from before? <laughs> it's definitely better. I mean, I wish that Noah Syndergaard could throw a baseball right now, but I definitely right, uh, yeah. <laughs> like you're you're getting they closer. Play, Pedro jealous of his backgammon skills or whatever Syndergaard's doing right. Now. Right. So Loretta says, "I don't want to move too fast. This is important. I want to build something with you." George is not happy to hear that. He says, "Oh, more, not more building." So he ends up being resigned. Fine. So he's going to take it slow with Loretta. I mean, like, it's hard to identify with George here. Like, he's not attracted to this woman. He's no interest in her. It's crazy that he agrees to this. Keeve. Elaine is in an alley with Glenn. Why is she still spending time with this man? I don't know. We don't really have a reason. I guess she's just like. Is he stalking her? Does he just constantly call her number? I, I mean, I just think, like, she's just so desperate. Probably to not be at work with Peterman. Like, what's her life? She's got a boyfriend who they keep breaking up. Waiting for Putty to call. She, a dad who's a lunatic who she has nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, right. And then, like, her, her, her boss is maybe the craziest person on the planet. So, yeah. why wouldn't you be in an alley? I guess so. He's fishing out donuts out of a garbage bag. Uh, this, to her, is even a bridge too far. Because then... They throw like a bucket of like disgusting water that splashes her. And so Elaine is going to get out her checkbook to uh, try to get rid of this guy. She ultimately is going to give him $300 in this scene. Right. But eventually they just spend it together because she doesn't break up with him at the end of the scene. I mean, all that stuff at the end of the episode they got for $300? It was a different time then. I guess so. Maybe it was all uh, used stuff or the whiz uh, hooked her up with a deal. Anyway, back at Jerry's house. He is upset. Phil's parrot has pooped on his door. I mean, that's pretty upsetting. Like, Phil, but he should call the super, I think. I don't think you go straight to Phil. I mean, maybe you go to him, but then you go to the super second. Although I know they have super issues with this, you know, with Jerry and Kramer. Right. And so Jerry says... Like Jerry, Jerry ostensibly slept with the super's wife last week. So I don't know. I don't know if you go to the super. Well, Newman did. Yeah, but I mean, they, like they're almost painting on Jerry when he's outside. I know Jerry didn't actually do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. In the... In the uh, there is suspicion but yeah, that, but that Jerry may have done and it. And he beat up Joe Mayo with, uh, you know... A right, right, right. I guess so. The, so yeah, Joe Jerry's Mayo not really a suspect for that one. True, 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 true. Okay. So Jerry says that, look, I don't mind if you do it or the woman who opens the door, Jerry mistakes for uh, Phil's maid, but it's actually his wife. Not ideal. (laughs) Yeah. Not not an ideal situation for uh, Never guess who the person is. (laughs) Like the mom thing is bad enough, right? Right. Would you rather be called the maid or the wife? Both of them are probably, you know, you're, you're not backing down. You're not getting out of that. Yeah, uh, I think uh, the, tied for worst. Yes. Yes. 
So later on, we see Jerry in his apartment in his tuxedo uh, with George. And George is t- explaining what he's going to be up to. He's going to, with one woman ice skating and with the other one, a revival of Godspell. But he doesn't even know. This ends up being funny, right? Like the idea that he doesn't remember who he went to see with who when they're he in wrong. This doesn't fun. matter. <laughs> right. All right. So Jerry cannot find the Jerry Lewis cufflinks. He can't find them anywhere. Kramer comes in, also wearing a tuxedo. He says, see, I knew you were going to lose them. That's why I hid the cufflinks in my strong box. Yeah. Brilliant, Kramer. Right. Okay. So we need to go get the key, which is in Phil's apartment, so we can open up the strong box and get out the cufflinks. But Phil and Mrs. Phil are coming back. And they are very upset. We find out that they are coming back from the animal cemetery. The pet cemetery. Pet cemetery. Yes. Wow. Okay. Bad news. Fredo is dead. Jerry thinks that Fredo is the strange Portuguese guy that lives next door to the incinerator. I'd like to see Fredo. I wish we had met Fredo at some point in the series. Yes. And so Jerry is uh, very sad for Phil, or at least he says he is. And Phil says... Well, they told us that he was poisoned. Something was in his food. And Phil suspects Jerry. Now, if the parrot died from the key to the strongbox, would they say that was poison? That seems weird to me. It's a weird thing to say, right? But again, maybe the veterinarian was a quack. Uh, A duck doctor? (laughs) It was literally a duck doctor. (laughs) Yeah, you can't take a parrot to a duck doctor. No, that was probably the issue. Um, But yeah, poison, maybe it's like he ate something bad and they just took it for poison. He the key more than he was poisoned Right, but wouldn't they do an autopsy? Like, wouldn't you find what was in there? I mean, maybe that Phil didn't want to desecrate Fredo the parrot. Animal autopsy. Is there anything there with a show? Show? I think it's too dark. Animal autopsy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's too dark, too. Right. I agree. Okay. So after Phil and Mrs. Phil go back in the apartment, we uh, find out, hey, bad news. Uh, Phil and Mrs. Phil got back and they ended up, uh, they had to bury Fredo. And uh, they think that Jerry did it. And who buries a bird? Uh, And Kramer says, you just give it to the Portuguese guy who lives near the incinerator. Okay. But Jerry says, let's just get the key and get out there. And Kramer says, oh, you know what? I put the key in the bird's food. And Jerry says, you killed Fredo. And Kramer, like, didn't realize, but realizes within a half a second and says, Fredo was weak and stupid. He shouldn't need the key. How dumb is Kramer, by the way, to put it in the bird's food? I mean, the, you have to really go with a lot of, uh, you know, just follow the show that Kramer is this uh, dumb. But this, is, and, this and might so be the lot. dumbest Kramer we've seen. Like, this is just like, like... Not being able to hide in a semi-competent place, putting in his jacket, putting in the, like, this is just, you know, like, not a smart man. Right. Is this the dumbest thing he's ever done? Potentially. Uh, that would be a fun list, like the 10 dumbest thing Kramer ever, has ever done. Yeah. Do you like the Godfather references? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I like the, I know the Godfather well enough to appreciate them, sure. Okay. So, Jerry says, Kramer, I need those cufflinks. Uh, now they're in the box and the key is in the bird. What are we going to do? And Kramer says, you just answered your own question. I'll go get the shovel. I, again, Keeve, how is Jerry in on this plan? Jerry is not a come with to the pet cemetery type guy, but I guess he needs this cu- these cufflinks. No, although you'd assume doesn't. he's missing. He does not. He does not need the cufflinks to. He wants them. Introduce- to him, it's like, this is very similar to Kathy Griffin bringing the opener of the Groden thing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, this is my in. Right. 
I mean, I think the show does a bad job of setting up how badly Jerry Seinfeld wants to meet Jerry Lewis and how the only thing mm-hmm. that would potentially. But maybe in 90, that. maybe in Jerry's mind, it would be obvious. Like, of course, Jerry would want to meet Jerry Lewis, this iconic comedian. So they don't think they need to set it up. Mm-hmm. But I agree they do a better job. If, if the plot was, oh, Jerry Lewis just did an interview that he was looking for his cufflinks. If I show up with these, I'll be in like Flint with Jerry Lewis. And that's why he needs to do it. It's just like that to for just the opener. That seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. Just for like one line and Jerry Lewis probably won't care in the scheme of the show. Jerry Lewis doesn't care about Jerry Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And Jerry right? Lewis in real life, is not going to care about the cufflinks that he wore in a movie no. 40 no. years ago. He might take him back. If he cares, he'll probably take him back. Yeah. I hope Jerry doesn't mention they'll have to give him to him, which, by the way, might not be bad. Like if you offer him the cufflinks, that's another thing. Yeah. Okay. George is at Monk's with Loretta. I liked when he tells her, well, the actor that played Jesus made uh, some interesting choices. And she's like, wait, what are you talking about? And then he goes back into, oh, I had fun ice skating. (laughs) Okay. It's really funny. So here comes Mora that George had called her. She shows up and George acts like he is caught red handed in a web of his own lies. Yeah, this is like a little bit over the top for Jason Alexander, but it's pretty classic. Good George. Mm hmm. And so he's ruined three lives, uh, but both Mora and Loretta say, we can work through this. Right. And if George was lucky, then maybe they would have said, you know, work through it together. If you catch my drift. But he's, he's Whoa, not Keeve. I mean, it's a, it had to have crossed your mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think they should have done that? Should he? Uh, no. George said, no, this is an episode where it's bad things happen to everybody. Yeah, would you no. like that callback? <laughs> Uh, it would be a good callback, and then, like, what if they ended up, that happens, but it's with the homeless guy instead of George? Oh, no. Yeah. With Glenn. <laughs> this is an episode where bad things happen to people, so I don't think that's happening. Okay. So, Glenn is in his apartment with, uh, he has a TV and a stereo. Elaine bought him wood, so you don't have to burn this stuff. And then a woman. What, what a girlfriend. She bought him wood. Yeah, walks in. Uh, who's this? And it's Allison, his wife. Uh, so Elaine says, you're poor and married. And Glenn says, looks like it. What is that answer? Yeah, I don't know. Glenn is Glenn is so indifferent to his own, you know, to his own plight yeah. in this episode. I do like that Allison asks, well, who are you? She says, I'm Lois Sloan. Yeah, it's a good joke. Good call back to that. Uh, I mean, Elaine could easily say, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm. I, I, he told me he was poor, so I bought you guys some gifts, mm-hmm. and I'm leaving. Right. I don't think she was there for the drama. I think she just wanted no, to I don't think get so. the hell I don't out. Think so. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, finally, we see Jerry and Kramer in the Pet cemetery. Uh, they can't believe that they are grave robbers. Uh, Kramer sees a tombstone says, man's best friend. He'd like something like that. And so... Jerry uh, is telling Kramer he needs to be the person to dig up the bird. And Kramer says, fine. And then you have to get the key out of him. Uh, so Jerry takes the shovel. Kramer goes to look for Lassie number three. Do you like this whole setup? Yeah. I mean, it, like it's a long setup to get there, but it, it, and it's not super realistic, but I don't. I mean, I don't love it or hate it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like you? that these nighttime scenes uh, really could go either way between yeah. the, you know, uh, the, what is it? The Is it uh, in the muffin tops with the Winnebago out in the uh, Central Park? The garbage dump? Yeah. yeah. Is that what, oh, oh, the, oh, the Winnebago in the garbage. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's two, right? Yeah, there's two. We, we have and, the werewolf and, and the, and the, and the, the werewolf park. one also. Right. Yeah. So it's like uh, another. Which Spike Ferriston disavowed. Yes. Disavowed. 
So we see uh, now Phil is walking through with Mrs. Phil. And they say, okay, we can go look at the graveyard uh, one more time. And then Jerry yells out, hey, Kramer, I dug Fredo up. Now let's cut him open. And uh, Jerry is startled to see Phil, uh, which he responds, hey, neighbor. I mean, they were so attached to this pet, which Jerry had never heard before, meaning he didn't exist or they just moved in. Like, that they go back to the cemetery for a second time in one night. That's wild. Yeah, a little wild. And by the way, is there anything scarier than like a Manhattan cemetery at night? <laughs> I, I didn't think about that. Uh, a pet cemetery, especially where you don't expect to I see mean, people. Also, so, how did they know which cemetery? I, I, people ask that. Yeah. In the, that's a Chester question you just asked. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, we have a tag on this episode. And George is with Jerry and Kramer and Elaine. And George says that he's going to try to give each woman $55 each to go away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's an option. Like, you should try it. We don't know, lo- we don't know more as, you know, financial situation. I mean, it's kind of a, what a divorce settlement is, right? Right. But you, what we know about Maura, she's not taking 55 no, bucks. No, I don't think so. Uh, maybe Loretta. Oh, yeah. Loretta might take it. But she's into George. So, yeah. I don't know. He's going to go for two here. Okay. Elaine says, give me 40. You never have to see me again. And so uh, Elaine asked Jerry, what are you going to do? Are you just going to move out? And now that uh, you have this situation with Phil, uh, Jerry says he's going to come in and out on the fire escape. George wants to know what's in the cooler. And he goes over and he opens it. And Kramer realizes that he forgot to lock it. Uh, Jerry, yeah, to, it was uh, He forgot to lock it at all. So it was unlocked the whole time. Yeah. So Jerry says, you mean it was open? We desecrated a pet cemetery for uh, nothing? And Kramer says, well, this is one for the books, right, Jerry? <laughs> really one for the books. Uh, uh, I like Howie that. Howie I did. Yeah. That was good. All right, Keith. Let's talk about the strong box. Yeah, it's a wacky episode. It is wacky. I, I don't know if it's like, it's not supernatural. No, it's not. See, it's not. That's why I said it's season three dark and not season nine ludicrous. I mean, the pet cemetery cemetery stuff is crazy, but nothing impossible happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, them coming back and finding them there is is unlikely. The least likely thing in the whole episode is them finding the grave in the pet cemetery like in a normal amount of time. Okay. Keith, let's do our grades. Uh, Jerry and needing the cufflinks and then having uh, the situation with Phil. You know, the cufflinks thing just to me is a dead end that I, they I like you expect the whole episode for Jerry Lewis to show up and, and he doesn't or at least the roast to happen. Uh, I, I give this a C minus. Wow. Really hard yeah. on it. Uh, yeah. We don't see a lot of dead ends like this in the later seasons. Yeah. C minus. Hmm. I feel like that there are some uh, moments here along the way. I like the scene where Jerry doesn't want to let Phil in. Uh, I'll give it a B minus. I, I mean, I, I don't okay. feel like it was a uh, a dead end in terms of. Like, I, I think I'm harder on it than anybody else. So I don't think you, you have birds. to really justify. I'm pro bird. Everyone knows yeah. that except for Larry Bird. Yes. Uh, I, I feel like that the ending of the episode with uh, Phil and his wife showing up with them in the pet cemetery. I feel like that was enough of an ending for the story uh, to me. So, all right. I okay. give it a B minus. All right. What about George uh, with Mora? I think it's a very funny idea. I do think the scene in Monks, even though I, I, I said that Jason Alexander did a good job, I think that could be an iconic scene and it's definitely not. I don't know why the tone is like 2% off. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I don't know if he's overacting. I'm going to give that an A minus because it is a good storyline. But I think like they, he, George left a little bit on the table. In this I think episode. it's on Mora. I think it's that she is yeah. not a memorable girlfriend. Yeah. Other than she would not. They give her, her more key. than some of the other girlfriends, right? Like she has more to work with, and she's sort of. She doesn't have a point of view. She's sort right. of black. Yes. Where she should be outwardly, like overtly negative. Yeah. Tan Loretta, she had a worldview. Yeah. Tan Loretta is a realistic person. Mora is right. not. Tan Loretta was like a moth attracted to a flame. Totally. That's what led her to tanning. She <laughs> needed to get as close the, to something dangerous as possible. That's Beautiful. what led her to George Costanza. Okay. That's why she was so attracted to him. All right. Uh, so uh, what, what do you give George? A minus. A minus. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a B plus. Uh, I think that uh, the only thing is that you're right. It doesn't really stand out in terms of a uh, storyline for George. I think it's just kind of close to some other things. All right, what about Elaine with uh, poor Glenn? I think from a comedy perspective, it, they take an, it's a, a very original storyline that has a beginning, middle, and an end. But and listen, we we're not out here. We've We've given the show very little grief on like, you know, uh, like PCing up the place and like this wouldn't work. And therefore, this episode stinks. Like, you know, people always like to write in one of those guys who ranked Seinfeld, like any episode that wasn't woke. He put like he has the outing is the worst episode in Seinfeld history. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not what we've done for 170 episodes. Male unbonding. Yeah, yeah, no, he has the outing as the worst episode in Seinfeld history. I mean, people I think it was Larry Fitzmaurice. People write in still twice a month and or they tweet at me this list and say it's the worst it's really the worst thing in the history of the internet not and they're good. under the, it's not good um but i just think this is so dark and like anti-poor that it's hard to enjoy you know it's like you open up that apartment and you're like oh right hmm it's like you feel dirty and not because it's like you're anti-poor it's because like they're they're not in on the joke so right i don't know i i always dislike this episode for that even though so that get, he was an adulterer yeah. uh, i mean again that just adds to like like think about the woman she's poor her husband's a loser and an adulterer mm-hmm. uh so i'm gonna give it a c give it a c yeah i feel like i would give it a c also but i feel like that uh, i don't really like elaine dating this guy i don't know what she's seeing in him but i feel like yeah. that the lowest loan stuff is strong enough for me to no you're right there, listen there's up. some funny stuff this is a funnier episode than it is a good episode for sure okay and then what about kramer with the key you know i think this again like they could have hit a home run and maybe they just hit a single with it i think it's like funny but a lot of it happens off camera or it's it's sort of like very obvious, basic reveals. And when he finds out the thing, it's just like two scenes rolled together in one where he's like immediately switches from, oh, he found the key to like that parrot's dumb. Uh, so I'm going to give this a B. OK. Uh, yeah, I'll say B minus. I mean, uh, the, you bring up a good point of how stupid is Kramer in this episode uh, between all the places he hides the keys and not realizing that the lockbox is open. Also underrated of he took the cufflinks out of Jerry's dresser to say, oh, you'll lose them there and put them in his yeah. safe. So now, there's a lot of little funny moments in this episode. What's like the most iconic? Like, if you were explaining this episode without saying the strong box, what's like the most iconic moment from the episode? Boy, I think it's got to be. Is it the alley with the donuts? No. Like, I, to me, I feel like it's if it's not turn your key, I, I feel like that that is something that became bigger because of this episode. And mm-hmm. then also I think I, is the answer the opening scene where she doesn't break up with him. I think that's probably the answer, right? 
Hmm. Where she refuses to break up with yeah, George. She, yeah, I think that's. I think that's probably it. Something. So a very. That. That's probably rare in our Seinfeld history. Like the best scene is the opening scene. That's almost never happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Especially they talk the a opening, lot about, You know, for you know, so many seasons, it's the right. It's just the monologue. Okay, there you go. All right, Keeve. Uh, where do you have this in your rankings, boy? You were tough on this. I, I am like tough on it. I will say it's funny. 100. Yeah. It's outside the 100. Where do you have it? I think uh, you have it at 121. Oh, my God. What? You got it. Nailed it. <laughs> you nailed oh. it. That's crazy. Woo. Oh, it was bound to happen eventually. That's I, crazy. I, and it, had it, I it, not it, said, had because you said that, so I did give you a little bit of a hint that it was outside the 100. Yeah. But had you just said that blind... I, I think like we almost need to call in like uh, you know like a like I mean some sort of uh, that I think it's inside the realm of probability that if I guess yeah. one every week uh, I sort of have like an educated guess like within I know like, listen I know you're not Chester so I know you're not keeping score because I think Chester claimed that I didn't say the ranking I think I did but we had a weird editing with the Ferriston episode so uh, the he said like uh, he emailed me frantically like you didn't rate. Um, what episode was it? I think the reverse peephole, which I, is 55 if you're scoring at home. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you needed to know. And it, it's actually not in the edit. But so I know you're not sitting there and like, well, 121 is open. So maybe Akiva put it there. So mm-hmm. that's incredibly impressive. OK. Uh, I, I mean, it was again, I think it was a, a statistical inevitability that it would happen. Yes. You should point. play the uh, you should play the numbers. I'll play the numbers tonight. Play yeah. the lottery tonight. You ever do that? You ever played like pick four or anything? No, I'm not a lottery guy. I think when Lost was on, my wife likes my wife likes to play the lottery when it's like the Mega Millions reaches like eight billion, you know, like yeah. the really crazy ones, which I don't I have no interest in. Yeah. But you'd always like maybe get one. And I would just like I would play the Lost numbers. And I realized like, oh, you'd win 20 bucks if the Lost numbers won, because that's the most common number to play. Right. Uh, You're splitting that 500 ways yeah, like don't even play it breaks the math. Yeah. Right. You know, we should make a list of uh, things uh, a millennial will never say, but, uh, oh, play that number tonight is certainly high up on that list. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm, listen, I don't, like the, I don't think the lotteries are era either. I think it's like our parents' era. Right, but, yeah, no, I guess, uh, is any person under 50 telling another person, oh, play that number tonight? Probably not. Yeah. I was a scratcher guy. I do like the scratch off tickets. It's fun to like physically scratch off the tickets. Okay. All right, Keeve. So let's get into our mailbag for this episode for the strong box. Uh, the mailbag letters, are they under lock and key? Well, we forgot to lock it. It's open. Similar to the season nine podcast where it seems like everyone knows the code. People are coming in left and right. Okay. Uh, you start off with Lindsay here. Who's the person you'd be most interested in meeting who shares your name? Is there a famous Akiva that you'd like to meet? Um, the most famous Akiva by far is Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva. Isn't there an Akiva yeah. in like a lonely island? Oh, yeah. You know what? I mean, I'm still going to say that that Rabbi Akiva should be more famous than um, than Akiva. What's his name? Schaefer? Uh, let's see. Island. Jorma Tacone, Andy Samberg, Akiva. I think it's Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the one. He's on a boat with. Um, he's on a boat with uh, with Andy. Right. And Jorma's the one who has to stay home and not go on the boat with T Pain. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Uh, most- By the way, I'd like to say. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so the answer is. Uh, okay. So the answer is Rabbi Akiva. But the reason why I think it's good is because Rabbi Akiva famously was, was the shepherd till he was 40. You can check up his Wikipedia page. It's actually really interesting. And then he uh, like then he became this like great rabbi and like a leader. And he had like 20,000 students that would like travel with him. The, 
like so I can really in theory if someone says like why are you a bum I'll be like I still have till my 40 I have till I'm 40 to really get going yeah you know that's the Akiva way um who is the most famous Rob of all time okay well off the top of my head are we doing Rob or Robert are we including Bob's also I think any of them okay. I would say like not like Robin Hood but no, other well, than those Robin like Hood, the basic. Right. <laughs> Uh, which I think that I'm not sure if that was even a real person. Uh, I know you watched yeah, the Star Trek episode about Robin Hood. It's very tough. <laughs> I know. It's fresh on my mind still. I have nightmares uh, about it. I mean, is it Robert Downey Jr., the aforementioned Iron Man? Mm. Uh, like Robert, I don't know. I mean, at uh, time, Robert, Robert Redford, certainly. Yeah, the Ke- Robert Kennedy was very famous, right? Right. Bobby at Kennedy. A, at a time. Who is the reigning Rob? I mean, is uh, in terms of like an athlete or anything like that there's nobody that's really coming to mind could be uh rob downey jr okay robert downey jr is very famous that's not crazy there you go. by the way i made a i made a, a mistake uh johnny deal severa wrote in le- uh a couple weeks ago with the strong box okay. he was on vacation or something so i forgot about him but let's get his emails right now he says in real life michael richards was drafted into the u.s army in 1970 where he served as an army medic and was stationed in west germany before being uh Honorably discharged, not dishonorably. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you were Kramer, he wants to know where would you hide the key in Jerry's apartment that he wouldn't find it? Uh, In the toilet tank. I think that's good, right? We need to like tape it or something to like. uh, Yeah, that's the toilet tank's not bad. Yeah, Jerry's never going in there. Did I ever tell you? I I know a guy who um, was in like a like the library room, like a living room that had tons of books, and he opened up a book and it had. A stack of hundreds. Okay. Like carved out book or not a carved out book. You just opened up a book okay. and there was like, I think 20 grand in there. Okay. Or 10 grand or a really, really like huge sum of money. Okay. <laughs> and so he thought it'd be funny. He said, Hey, can I borrow this book? I'll come back tomorrow. I'll bring it back. And he borrowed the, the book with the 10 grand in it. Just like when he came, so when he came back, yeah. he said, by the way, like I borrowed this book, like he brought it back the next day. He's like, by the way, there's 10 grand in there. <laughs> And the guy was really annoyed. <laughs> the guy did not think it was funny. He thought it was a good bit, but the guy didn't like it. He didn't like what? that. Uh, His friend did not like the fact that he took the 10 grand out of the house, that he borrowed it. Okay. When he explained that the, the day later that he, re- that he borrowed the book. did the, the book, friend know the money was in the book? Friend didn't know. The friend had no idea. Yeah. He probably forgot. Or there was, it was like a series. There's like 50 of these books. Mm-hmm. And he, he probably didn't think, oh, that's in there. Or he hit, hit it. He, maybe he's a wealthy guy. So he yeah, hit it I years ago so. when it wasn't like burning a hole in his pocket um yeah but he didn't he think he didn't think it was a funny prank but i thought it was funny all right there you go uh Lindsay also wants to know do you think that uh the famous person uh would be interested if you share the name if i if i met robert downey jr said hey just so you know you're a rob and i'm a rob no he he like his security has thrown you out of the right. way at this point right i'm sure however yeah if i meet akiva schaefer yeah Unique name. Or, you know, there's another famous Akiva, by the way. Akiva Goldsman, who wrote Beautiful Mind, Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. You know, before the Lonely Island, he was number one, at least of living guys. Right. Rabbi Akiva's from many, like, thousands of years ago. Um, I think that is, it's a rare enough name that they would at least give me, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, fellow Kiev, like, pound it out and then walk on their way. Right? Okay. If you have an unusual name, I think you can get away with it. Yeah, but Rob, that's like you're a crazy person if you say, "Hey, we're both Robs." Right. The, the I think I think the Keeves can can do it. That's a club. Akiva, according to I think Freakonomics, Akiva is the most educated name in the United States. Wow. Yeah. Okay. There you I go. bring it down by not having gone to grad school. Okay. Um, 
I, I'm just doing a quick Google search because uh, there might be people yelling at uh, the oh, for uh, sure. iPod. We could do top 50 Robs. It's such right. a big name. Uh, Rob Kardashian. Uh, That's pretty good. That's sad. Could be, it's sad. It's sad. I don't want him. Is to there be a the famous Rob. Roberta? Roberta. Roberta Flack? Uh, Roberta. Fam- famous. Most famous Roberta. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a great Roberta that's out there. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Somebody... When, when you write Rob in, when you write Rob in Roberta on Google, Flack? it's Kardashian and Low yeah. and you. But I think uh, like that's probably like a smart thing. Okay. All right, uh, Keeve, uh, let's get to our uh, next one. Uh, Craig from Vancouver says, I'm sure that Jerry would not want to talk to Jerry Lewis after a roast. I've heard Jerry Lewis is a real jerk. If I met Jerry Lewis, I would ask him, hey, release the day the clown cried. That's a, that's a deep cut from, uh, from Craig from the Couve. Okay. You know about that movie? Uh, no. It's like a famous movie that's like one of these like development hell type of like he made it, but it's supposedly like maybe the worst movie ever, but maybe it's good. I think it's a clown Holocaust movie. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So it's never been released. <laughs> a little bit of a doubt. Um, but it's like a famous movie. Google, Google people, you know, learn something after this podcast. Google the day the clown cried. Yeah. Okay. Keith, what about Dominic, Dominic asked the same question you, you asked, which is, uh, is the phrase turned key that like basically does it come from here? He also want, he says you use it a lot, which I'll be honest, I've never really noticed you use the phrase turn the key. Uh, you know, I've probably used maybe it, Big Brother podcasting, but they don't do that anymore. No, if anything, with the Survivor context, where you, in terms of like in Survivor co wrong with like the things like the Super Idol, where both people had to consent to using mm-hmm. to okay, creating yeah. a Super Idol, I'm sure I probably use that phrase of that both people have to turn their key. Yeah, but it's not really like a, you know, a Rob, it wouldn't be on the Rob drinking game. No, no, kid. probably not something I've, I've said, but it is probably one of these things that's just like subliminally buried in my head. Mike C. wants to know, would you be too picky to eat something that had fallen into a late 90s New York sewer, even if it was completely yeah, sealed in its wrapper? That's a bit that we did not mention in terms yeah. of uh, this episode. So the Elaine it wants a snack. Again, uh, this is similar to when she was locked in her apartment and also wanted a snack. Uh, so Jerry like threw her down a granola bar, which ended up landing in the sewer. George shows up eating the granola bar, which is uh, a funny moment. Yeah, it's funny. That's very subtle. By the way, there's a lot of like if somebody said, hey, this is one of my like 50 or 60 favorite episodes. Again, I've said this many times, but I would not call that person crazy. There's a lot of little funny bits in this episode. Yeah. Okay. Dan, the benefactor. I'm really surprised that George, who was touting the walkout move only three episodes ago in the dealership, doesn't realize the same move could apply here. When breaking up, you always do it at their place. You make the case, comfort them for a little bit, and then walk out of there. You never break up at your place. Too hard to transition from the comforting to the shuttling them out. And then they're just broken up with you and they need to find a way home. Not good. Dan, the benefactor, has broken a lot of hearts in his day. Yeah. So he knows all about breaking, breaking up with people. Yes. So I, I trust him. He's not a benefactor of uh, the human heart. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Mo. Mo. Uh, <laughs> just like George, I have a friend who is convinced that the generic store brand of ginger ale is the same cola and lemon lime sodas mixed. So he mixed the two of them together and did a taste test. And about 30% of people failed. So maybe there's something to it. Big, um, big ginger ale does not approve of this message big ginger ale no for sure not they'd be out of business in two seconds uh by the way it's taste test season we i like we did that chocolate taste test for my for the ranking the candy bar podcast and my kids all they want to do now is like blindfold themselves and taste test things they want chips they want ice cream they want gum so it's a fun activity for your kids i don't know if your kids are too young especially your younger one but 
you know, people at home with older kids, I think it's like a fun activity. Mm -hmm. Taste test a bunch of drinks or food. Yeah. Amir, Elaine's boyfriend not giving any details about his life should set all kinds of uh, set off all kinds of red flags. Sure. He may be married. He may be a superhero, but he also may be a creepy sex offender, serial killer. For someone who wants to date crazy Joe DiVolo, she's being very cavalier with this guy. Yeah, this is not Elaine in her right mind here in season nine. She should not go back to his place. That's for sure. No, that's not a great idea. Once George found himself in the precarious situation with both girlfriends, shouldn't he have used that opportunity to come up with the uh, menage a trois plan? I did not see Amir's uh, suggestion here. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought of it all on my own. According to him, these situations are like discovering plutonium by accident. Seems like a missed opportunity. Either they break up with him or maybe they say yes. I don't think they're breaking up with him, Amir. That's the problem. They're just like annoyed with him and they're going to nag him more about this. Yeah. If Glenn was married, Amir wonders, and actually lived at the apartment, why did he go tell Elaine to see who was at the door? Seems like nothing good could come out of that, right? It ends up being the caseworker, but the other option is probably the wife, right? Yeah, the guy Crazy. was also very cavalier about like, oh yeah, just tell him to come yeah. on in. Like, uh, like, yeah. well, you're married. They're like, this is. I agree. Very cavalier. I would even call him LeBron. Right. It seems uh, that's not the hashtag. I apologize for that. Uh, it seems appropriate for Kramer to have man's best friend in his tombstone. He did basically turn into a dog in the Andrea Doria. True. Mm-hmm. All right. Closes out with Chester, and I'll say uh, this is the last time for a while that Chester is going to be closing out the mailbag. Okay. More on that in a moment. Uh, I can't imagine why any woman would want to date George in the first place. We already established, Chester, that he is a uh, replacement-level boyfriend. But why would any woman want to date George after discovering he doesn't like her and doesn't find her attractive? Does Mora have lower self-esteem than any woman in history? I think like that uh, sec- she actually... Second to last, Chester. <laughs> she actually has a lot of self-esteem. Yeah, no, she's a lot, she has enough confidence to say, no, nope, this is going on. By I'm, him. She's the alpha in the relationship, yeah. not George. Yeah. So I don't think that's it. I think she recognizes his appropriate value. Uh, yeah, Chester also says, why is it so awkward between Jerry and Phil? Shouldn't he have appreciated Jerry's security concerns? No, I, I get why Phil hates him. Yeah. Well, I think that Chester probably walks around. Yeah. You know, like, why do people uh, not like me in my building? <laughs> right. Because building like he's anymore, the type though. to like not make eye contact when the elevator's <laughs> closing and push the right. By the way. I can only imagine the party after Chester moved out. <laughs> like the doormen, everyone. I'm just kidding. Chester. Yeah. I, I do think, though, that if somebody was showing up like, hey, let me in. I live here. I think that Chester might have required some photo identification. Oh, totally. Yeah. He would narc on. Mm-hmm. Do you want a couple quick iTunes reviews? Quick. Yeah. All right. Uh, Silver Elf 11 gave us five stars and says, if you're a fellow Seinfeld nut, catch this podcast where two fans delve deeper into the Seinfeld verse than you ever thought po- was possible or needed. Okay. iPhone 7533, spent a lot of time coming up with that name, says, I just got a subscription to Hulu courtesy of Denny's.com. Is that real or is that a that joke I'm real. not getting? That was real for that. Was, uh, they were a sponsor on RHAP. Okay. So I skipped the ad sometimes. I apologize. And I started a Seinfeld streaming rewatch. This is the absolute best companion to Seinfeld. Whether you're doing an episode by episode rewatch or just saw an episode on TBS that you want to learn more about, Rob and Akiva recap the episode and also provide insights on production, the actors, and what happens in each episode uh, fits uh, within the how it fits with the entirety of the series. Jago007, is that a James Bond thing? Says, I just began binging the Seinfeld podcast and it's greatly entertaining. Robin Akiva kept me awake on a long trip, driving from Houston to Little Rock. Okay. That's Arkansas. Yeah. And back in one day. That's a long trip, I think. Um, the best thing about listening to these two, these two years after they were recorded is to see how wrong they were with their predictions, especially sports predictions. Yeah, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, Brian Cockrell says, I've been listening to these guys since episode one, said that it's almost over. I hope Robin Wheels team up on another podcast. And Steve Jr. The third says, these are all five star reviews, by the way. Steve Jr. The third says, good pace. These guys know their stuff. They go in depth on each episode. They don't skim on the facts, discussions or trivia. Family friendly for the most part. Eh, not really. Is it? I don't. Are I mean, we a family friendly not, podcast? Well, we're not saying the F word every other word. No, we're not. No, I don't curse. Um, I enjoy this podcast thoroughly. No BS. He just cursed. So he's not your review. Steve Jr. Third is not so family friendly. No BS. They rarely, if at all, get sidetracked. If they do, it's not too long. And they usually get back on topic. Five stars. Eventually. Easily. Now, he, Steve's happy that you had to hear my 20 minute gymnastics rant before the podcast and not during yeah. it. If someone wants to hear it, they can. Maybe I'll do it on 32 fans. Okay. There's no time here. But. We'll save that one. All right. Uh, Keith, what's coming up on the podcast? All right. So let's. Uh, so I'm going away. Um, <laughs> you make it sound like forever. No, I'm not going away forever, but I'm going to be in four different countries over the next like 10 days. Okay. I, I think what we're going to do here is we have. I guess I can say this. Like, I think our plan is that we're going to do a live episode in some capacity, right? I could say this mm-hmm. um, in November, but it will not be the finale. Okay. We will skip an episode of Seinfeld and then we will get back are, to are it. Are you floating this trial balloon or are you saying that this is gospel? Right I'll, now? I'll float the trial balloon, but I yeah. also know we're going to do it. It may just be me and you in, you know, my mom's basement okay. on Long Island. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun, and, then, and, and then maybe we'll people will be invited. Pets after that, right? And then we'll go dot pets, and we'll do that whole tour. Or it may be, you know, people have offered us more generous things than that. So the options are from very just me and you to maybe people there watching. So if you're interested, I guess start letting us know now, so we have a right like gauge of of if people and how many people are interested. Because mm-hmm. people have said they'd fly in for this. I'm you know underselling a little bit. People okay. are. Some people have told us they're interested. Um, now, point being that we're a little bit a, ha- uh, a question real quick. So if we are yeah. podcasting Curb Your Enthusiasm at that time, are we doing a live yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast also? Or what would we have done for the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode that week? That week? I mean, like, first of all, if we skip one week of Curb, I don't think like and just d- double up the next week. Like, I don't know. That's like a second. I mean, it's not a bad question, but I feel like we can sort of cross that bridge in November. I mean, sure. But uh, I do think that the Curb Your Enthusiasm podcasts are going to be probably uh, more listened to than these podcasts. Wow. I mean, if that's true, that's wonderful. Uh, I would be honored. And that would be cool. Because it's going to be a current Um, show. I mean, there's a... No, I agree. I agree. Listen, a niche product here. I think there's a lot of I'm well aware. I'm well aware. (laughs) I'm well aware. Listen, my, my Twitter followers wish I podcast about Big Brother. Trust me. Yeah. Um, not, not the people who follow me. I mean, like the number of my Twitter followers. Yes. Um, the okay so and that would be uh we can, tuesday that, what's that tbd we can figure that out tbd but that's tuesday you don't want me to say that? okay okay oh, oh, oh i just meant the curb enthusiasm no part. i think that's that would be the, the the seinfeld thing would be tuesday the 8th whatever that tuesday is i think it's the 8th and i think that's right? the 7th 7th tuesday the 7th november 7th tuesday night somewhere in the state of new york we will be talking about the seinfeld episode i think i think we'll do the frogger if that's okay with you that's fine with me because that's the best episode left. Okay. Uh, I, I just think the finale, it's too much short shrift to the finale to do a live show that could be a little chaotic or whatever, okay. right? Sure. An hour episode. Anyway, point being, we have time to spare. So next week, there's a long way of saying there's no episode next week. We're taking next week's episode and sending it to the future. Yes. Like- but we will, we will still be done with Seinfeld in time to talk about Curb, if that's what your concern is. Um, and we will, you know, and... Uh, we we ha- we even have probably one more week to spare. Other than that, if we if we needed to skip another okay. week, which I don't think we do. And then you want to talk um, about in two weeks? And so yeah, and uh, well, in two weeks we're doing the wizard. Let's just say that. 
So you could send your emails now or next week for the wizard. Okay. There you go. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, is there anything else we got to talk about this episode? We need a hashtag. hashtag. What do you got? Well, let me say also, oh, just quick plug, 32 fans. We did, so, uh, we did a ton this week. I don't know when it'll be out, but we have 100 greatest baseball players of all time. And Chester and I spent six hours, like serious, not no jokes, doing the 112 best quarterbacks of all time, like really getting to the nitty gritty. If you're a football fan, like a ton of original research and stats that you won't get anywhere else. I actually think like if, if that's, it's not fun. It's just int- like, if, if you think that's interesting, it'll be good. And if not, if that sounds boring, it's not like a, it's not a party episode. Um, so there's a lot going on. And also Rob, 32 fans. Uh, we started a Facebook group. Oh, okay. That's we started fun. a Facebook group. We already have like 70 people in it. Um, you know what happens with the Facebook groups? I, you probably know. What's that? Then people I feel start like there's politics. like a face. It's not politics. No, I would like that. I would like that. It's there's one or two people that do like 80 percent of the post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to tell people only like start like one one thread a day. I, I do think there should be a rule in Facebook groups. You could only start one thing a day unless you're like offering people money or you know what I mean? Yeah. Unless you're like the mo- the admin or something. Um, so anyway, if anyone wants to join, just search a 32 fans podcast. All are welcome. Um, I just thought it would be fun. Like now it's football right. season to have everyone in one group. See, I, okay, I'll, I'll find it. I'll join the group. You, you join the group. We will accept you. Okay. Don't add other people. This one uh, guy I, added I like need, 30 people. I need a people. place where I can put out all my political hot takes. Yeah, listen. And it's, it's a safe now that, space. Now that you've welcomed them. But yeah, there's no rules. I got except, a bunch of memes that I need to post. But the, the people who add, the guy who adds like 40 people to the group without their permission... Not, yeah, a, not a great don't move. Be that guy. Don't be that guy. People said in, in your group that that's an immediate block. If you if someone adds you without permission. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. That's that's a block. Uh, uh, so anyway, ha- we need a hashtag and I think we're good to go. Okay, what's the, How about uh, instead of a specific hashtag, why don't you in tweet form tell us what your last meal would be in the hashtag? <laughs> okay, Is that all right? Good. Sounds good. Let's, I want to know what people's last right. meal would Thanks be. Thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre who edits the Seinfeld plus the recap and Mike Moore who writes the recap. Uh, no podcast coming up next week and then uh, I'll be back in two weeks to talk about everything going on in which episode? The Wizard. The Wizard. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.